UMass has just suffered a really tough weekend at the hands of Providence. We're going to go over everything that went wrong this weekend and what we think might be the keys to right the ship going forward. everybody and welcome to episode 45 of high character UMass just had a home and home with providence and it did not go well they take away one point uh but they they got their butts handed to them in the first game uh, and they coughed up a lead to send the second game to overtime in which they lost in overtime my name is cameron and i am joined by my good friend evan evan i feel like i know the answer to this but how you feeling man yeah, I think I think we all know the answer to this. I'm doing pretty crappy overall. Um, I got humbled. The team got humbled. It was just not not a good not a good weekend at all. I mean, credit to Providence. They played well. You know what I mean? They did their thing. They came up ready to play, and quite frankly, UMass didn't. Well, I, I shouldn't say that there were there were stretches where UMass didn't show up ready to play. I think the 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 extra kind of gut punch to this whole weekend, in my opinion, was that. We, we showed flashes of really, really good hockey, you know, especially when we were like in the first game, as we're going to talk about, we kind of clawed back a little bit and, you know, almost tied it back up. There, there were moments where I felt like we looked like a very, very solid hockey team, but the, the bad moments just completely outweighed the good. And it, it really hurt. You know, it was a really tough weekend to watch overall, especially when, I was I was really hyping up UMass in the preview episode, you know what I mean? And obviously, I'm a bit of a homer. I'm going to say what I say about UMass, you know. I'm going to always be, you know, back them up and be in their corner, but they they made they made it tough for me this weekend, definitely. I think it was really not a good look overall and we're going to give you guys all the information as to exactly that went down this weekend. So, let's get right into it. Yeah, I think think things went wrong in many different areas which we will highlight as we go through each game but uh there's a lot to unpack here so let's just start with game one friday night in providence a thing that um kind of i don't know if confused us but it was at least unexpected to me cole brady ended up getting the start i didn't expect it to be totally honest but uh yeah obviously it didn't go well but what were your thoughts on him getting the start i don't think i'm completely shocked like i, I can see why like I think he probably looked better than Pav last weekend, you know, after the Merrimack series, we got to remember he was rocking a solid 26, 27 save shutout up until the last 30 seconds of the Merrimack game. And he only let in that goal after about five minutes of sustained pressure. You know what I mean? In that third period, he was standing his ground and was playing really well. And ultimately two really unfortunate goals did him in you know what I mean so I don't really think it was that out of character to have him play you know especially after have let in the same amount of goals I think he let in two goals in the previous game but that was off of less shots I think it was only like 18 or 19 shots against so he statistically Brady was the was the pick you know what I mean and again not completely shocked in it but as we will discuss he didn't really live up to the occasion especially in this first period yeah and uh we might see things change in terms of a goalie situation come next week but that'll be an entire other discussion 
Quickly into this game, six minutes in, we see one of the worst mental mistakes that we've seen in a long time from from Ryan Ufko, uh, just kind of skating the puck out of the defensive zone. Uh, Drop passes it to a Providence player, and he comes in and scores a pretty easy goal to make it one nothing. Yeah, and I don't really 100% blame Ufko. This might be a hot take, right? But I don't 100% blame him on this because – I think it might be an issue with how predictable our power play has been recently. I think every time we get a power play opportunity, it's always, we get a very solid skater going up the ice and then we drop past it. Mm. That's what happens 90% of the times on the rush. And I think Providence knew that they fair play to Nate Lehman after we were, I shouldn't say we, it was me. I was, I was, you know, making some, some claims about his character that I've heard from other people regardless of what people think about his character, dude knows his hockey. You know, he clearly saw something within our power play game plan. He told his guys on the ice what we were going to do, and they reacted accordingly. They knew the drop pass was coming. Like, I think it was, what was his name, Yoder? He was skating up to Ufko, knew the drop pass was coming, and immediately peeled off of him the moment that Ufko kind of telegraphed the, the drop pass. And that's a really smart hockey play by, by Providence there. You know, fair enough. And I think we have to do better on the defense there because right as he gets the puck, we're getting caught going the other way and we just couldn't get back quick enough. And he basically just walks in untouched and is able to completely go, you know, cut across the entirety of the crease and backhand it in pretty similar to the goal that we gave away at Merrimack in OT. You know, we, they're coming the other way with speed. We can't get back in time. They cut across the entire length of the net. And oddly enough, it was Cole Brady in net for that goal as well. So we're seeing Cole Brady getting absolutely burnt on, you know, end-to-end, like, post-to-post plays like that where he has to kind of cut across the entirety of the net and make a play. And, yeah, it's it's not the way that you want to start a game at all. But, again, I don't completely put it on Ufko there because he's doing what we always do for our power play chances. You know, mm-hmm. at, to a point, you have to recognize that the, the, the defense of the other team is going to react and adjust. You know, we can't be a one-dimensional power play where we're going to do the same play every time because, as we saw here, we're going to get burnt eventually. And we just got to switch it up, I think. Yeah, that is a good point from you. I didn't think about that, the fact that we do that basically every single power play. Um, still uh, a mental lapse to not know where that defender is when you're doing mm-hmm. it. So definitely need to clean that up. Um, we move on a couple minutes later in the period. We see Scott Morrow get a pretty pretty selfish, all things considered, roughing call. Did not did not need to happen. And on that power play, we see Riley Duran, a guy that we highlighted in our preview episode for being Providence's leading scorer. He kind of skates in and stuffs on his stuffs home his own rebound to to make it to nothing on the power play. Yeah, I mean, you're a man down and we're already a goal down, you know, this is not what you want to come up against at this point, especially, you know, it was literally right towards the end of the power play. I think we were killing the penalty off pretty decently up until this point. And I think they, they had Durant set up kind of low near, um, near the net, just kind of like slightly behind and off to the side. Um, kind of what, what oddly enough, our current assistant coach, uh, Jacob Pritchard used to do a lot when he was playing with us. I think that was kind of his area of the ice and he could make things happen from there. And, you know, it was just one of those plays where Duran's a pretty skilled guy. You know, that's that's why he's gonna be he's gonna be their top point guy. And he shows off some pretty solid skating to kind of turn around quickly and you know put the puck basically right into the slot, right in front of the net, completely uncovered. Because I think it was Noah Ellis that was defending on that play, or 
I shouldn't really say defending because he was pretty far away from the guy at that point, but that, that was kind of his area of the ice that he had to get back and cover pretty quickly. And I think Duran's move was just too quick because he pulls the puck in front of the net, gets one shot off. I think it goes off of Brady's pad. And then he just gets the backhand rebound, basically top shelf and trickles through. It's, you just got to react quicker. You know what I mean? Like it's our, our special teams were one of our highlights earlier on in the season. And I think what we're starting to see is that kind of regression towards the mean. Like we were talking about how everything is, is unsustainable that we're doing right now. I, I, I don't want to say that this, that's exactly what's happening. Cause I think if we, if we came more ready to play and we were playing the way that we were in previous games, this wouldn't happen, but it's, it, it was unsustainable at the end of the day. And I think the cracks are kind of starting to, to show through a little bit and we just got to clean it up. You know, you just got to more effort, more intensity, more purpose in what we do. It's just, it wasn't there to start off this period. And that was really the big difference maker in the game. Yeah. And it kept going. Providence is really dominating the possession in the zone time. And just about a minute after this power play goal, we see a shot from the point and Brett Berard, who also for Providence had a really special weekend. He uh, buries the the redirection, make it three, nothing early. Yeah. Th- this this is a pretty nuts tip realistically i mean to to get it out of midair like that you tip it perfectly to almost go bar down you know what i mean like that's a tough one for brady to let in i think i think there was a couple of bodies in front of the net too that didn't really make it easy for him to kind of see the puck you know it was redirected from a solid spot um kind of right in that mid slot so i don't know it's a tough one you know that one it's just Everything just kind of, that was just the type of period it was, you know what I mean? Like we, we just were not playing amazingly that period. And sometimes you're going to get goals that just straight up don't go your way. And I think that might've been one of them, but compounded with the other two goals that happened, you know, in the beginning of the period, I think the team was just really flat at this point, you know, like that was kind of the, the thing where just, you know, we knew this team just had to survive till the end of the period and hopefully Carvey can do something to the guys in the locker room and just get them motivated again, because we were just surviving at this point, you know, everybody in the arena was, was behind Providence, you know, it's an away game. Schneider's a pretty tough place to play, you know, in all honesty, it's a small arena, but they, they get the place pretty loud. So, you know, the team was just having a rough go at this point and it just kind of continues on, you know, it's just the way it is. Yeah, and UMass was able to get to the intermission, still 3 nothing, and we see Coach Carville try to spark a change. He brings out Luke Pavisic to replace Cole Brady to start the second period, hoping to get something going just to change the energy level a little bit. But less than a minute into the second period, we see um, just a, a really bad defensive mistake. Um, the, the Scott Morrow, Elliot McDermott line for defense is out, um, and – if you watch UMass hockey, you know Scott Morrow is kind of there to be more of an offensive defenseman and make some plays. McDermott's there to kind of be more of a stay-at-home defenseman. We see McDermott try to take the puck out of the defensive zone and split two defenders like Scott Morrow, uh, like Scott Morrow's role is, and it uh, it falls flat. He gets stripped of the puck, makes an easy two-on-one for Providence, and Brett Berard scores another goal to make it four nothing. Yeah, I'm not trying to throw shade at any member of the team you know I I like I like McDermott's game so far this season you know I think he he does well blocking shots I think he plays pretty pretty responsible and this time he just didn't really stay in his lane he kind of thought like I I I kind of understand the sentiment to a degree like you trying to get a spark into your team try and make a play you know when when you're behind but 
it's not the way to do it. You know, there's, there's, there's smarter plays that could be made there. And I think there's other people on the team that could make a more, you know, it could make the same play at a higher percentage. You know, I just think that's too risky. And judging by Carvel's reaction after the goal, he was absolutely digging in to Elliot McDermott on the bench there. And, you know, just was really upset with him. And part of me thinks that, especially because this happened a minute after the, the period started, something must have been said in that locker room, you know, by Carvey to say, you know, this is what we have to do to start off the period and get this game back on track. And whatever the hell that was that happened on the play was not what Carvey wanted because Carvey was just screaming, hollering, doing, doing the most on that. And he was just extremely upset as, as we were in the stands, you know what I mean? Like you, you think we're, we're usually a pretty solid second period team, especially when Carvey can kind of motivate the guys and come up with a different look in the next period. And that just completely ruined it for us. You know what I mean? Like we think that we could have a little bit, bit of momentum. PC is kind of a little bit cooled down at that point. You know, they, they have a little bit of time to, you know, we had a little bit of time to kind of gather ourselves and refocus and a minute into the next period, when we think that we're refocused and ready to claw our way back into the game, that happens. It's, it's demoralizing to say the least, you know, it's, it's just, it's not fun. Yeah. It makes me think uh, we saw Elliot McDermott, uh, essentially get benched for the rest of this game. Noah yeah. Ellis kind of took his spot on the, the top line. So you can tell how how much that affected Coach Carville. Um, I think we're not in that locker room, so we're, we don't know for sure. I think a pretty important part of this team is roles and knowing your role. And when you see a guy step out of the role that uh, he's earned or been given um, and try to do something else and the team immediately uh, pays for that mistake, it's 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 big, I think. I think this team definitely relies on those roles and kind of it's organized for success in that way. So when guys stray from that, it could be a problem, which I think is why we saw him get benched. Yeah. I mean, that, that just kind of goes in with the, with the whole culture. Like you, you know, we, we've done very well up until this point in the season, in my opinion, you know, before this game, of course, I mean, obviously not after this weekend, but before this game, we looked like a very solid hockey team that was kind of trusting the game plan, getting things done. It was whenever we saw a little bit of adversity, just slow the game down, make the smart play, and the the goals will come. You know what I mean? Like that was kind of how it always was. And sometimes it feels like when we go behind, we get a little, little panicky. At least that's kind of what I saw this weekend. You know, it was just, especially in this game, you know, we started to kind of make some ill-advised decisions like McDermott did on this play. And, I, I understand the sentiment, like I said, like just you try to, you know, obviously when you're down three, nothing, you want to do everything that you can to really just get your team back into the game. But there's a time and a place for everything, you know, and I don't think that was the time or the place to do it, especially after, again, what we assume is to be some sort of, you know, organized game plan being discussed in the locker room to try and get our way back into it. That clearly wasn't what everybody wanted because of Carvel's reaction. So super unfortunate play overall. And that really just dug the hole even deeper for us. Yeah. And it was, it was nice. UMass actually answered pretty quickly about a minute later. Um, we don't have UMass doesn't post highlights for road games. So uh, we, we can't look back on this goal. We're kind of just going from memory, but uh, I believe it was a Ryan Elko shot that was uh, redirected by Tyson Dick to make it four to one. Yeah. I believe you're right about that. And that's a, that's a solid goal. You know, that's, that's the spark that you need. I mean, fair play to, to Tyson Dick on the play. 
Um, I think it kind of, you know, we, we saw that goal against, and we were kind of, I think the team was just thinking, just get one back at this point. You know what I mean? Like it, when it gets to four, nothing, at least in my opinion, you really don't have that much to lose. You know, like, like when it's three, nothing, you think three goals, you, you could still come back from that. You know, if you play the right way and you play smart, just, just, you know, stick to the game plan and maybe we can get something going, but four, nothing. I, at that point, at least in my opinion, just, just go for it. You know what I mean? How much worse can it get at that point? If you lose five or if you lose four, nothing, or if you lose 10, nothing really doesn't mean that much in the grand scheme of things. So, you know, besides the, the goalie safe percentage, of course, but that's, that's not really, you know, on the, the massive priority list of everybody on the team at that point, if you're already losing. So you kind of just have to go for things. And I think we finally started to get a little bit of zone time. We got something going and we got rewarded and me and you in the stands, we were kind of just thinking, you know, hallelujah, we got one. It's, it's cool. At least we're not going away empty handed, but you know, it, it was a little bit of a spark, but it still kind of felt like, at least in our opinions, it was like, is this going to be the only one? Like, can we at least try and get a little bit more going here? But Mm -hmm. it's tough. Yeah, a little bit after that goal, we see um, Providence scores again, uh, essentially to make it five to one, but the goal ends up being waved off on goaltender interference. Um, Right after that, Providence gets another power play. UMass has been pretty undisciplined the last couple weekends, and we see Riley Duran net his second of the game to make it five to one about halfway through the second. Yeah, it's just another issue being on the power or being on the penalty kill and – Providence was really doing their thing in the offensive zone. I think just crisp passing. They really relied a lot, at least from what I saw during the game. They relied upon like point shots. You know, I think that's we we tend to do that quite a bit as well, but they would always, I think it was number 27. I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but number 27 on Providence, he was he was basically the quarterback of that power play. He was really doing his thing. Um I think it was their Harding. Oh yeah, Tage Harding. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. He I, he was a pretty big dude. So I think he just has a really heavy shot. I think that was kind of what they wanted from him. And I mean, it was just another unfortunate circumstance of a really solid tip. I don't think, I don't think we did a very good job clearing out the net. I know it's very tough to prioritize clearing out the net on a penalty kill. I get that because you're already down a man as it is. And you don't want to allow open opportunities for more high danger areas, but it's just, other teams can figure out penalty killing very well. And we did not look good on the penalty kill this weekend whatsoever. You know, I think, I think, I think we were 50% on the penalty kill. Mm -hmm. That's horrendous, you know, straight up. Like you can't, that's, that's not a, that's not the hallmark of a top 10 team that we're striving to be, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's simply not going to do it. So if, you know, another tipped goal against makes an, makes it five, one, that's, I'm running out of words to describe it. You know what I mean? Like I'm not expecting to have to talk about this many opposing goals in a, in a single game, you know, like this, usually, you know, if I talk about one or two, I can give them their props and move on, but I'm obviously there's, there's no video on this, but I'm red in the face, you know, right now, like I'm, I'm trying to think about this and it's, it really hurts to think about this. This was not a good outing for the boys at all. Yeah. And it's a tough look to um, on this power play, uh, the Providence player that ends up, scoring Riley Duran he's he's camped in the crease there's nobody there's nobody giving him a hard time down there so it's really not what you like to see again after that goal uh, UMass answers pretty quickly actually and from that point on really kind of dominated the rest of the second period we see uh, a shot from Tyson Dick little juicy rebound and Noah Ellis buries his first of his career to make it five to two 
So congratulations to him on that one. Yeah, congrats to Noah Ellis losing his G card. Very cool. <laughs> we we love to talk about that on the on the on the pod. But um, yeah, it was it was a little bit of a weird one. I mean, especially seeing Noah Ellis kind of you know up there near the net. You know, obviously buries the goal. Very happy, right place at the right time. And uh, it, it kind of you know again. It, it felt a little different, at least for us in the stands after this goal, because when it was, when we made it four to one, we were kind of just thinking like, Oh yeah, you know, cool. We got, we got one goal, you know, at least we're not getting shut out. But when, when you make it, I, I get it. It's still five to two, still the exact same goal difference, but I think there's a bit more in scoring two goals instead of one. It always seems like no matter what goal you play against, they're, they're always prone to letting in one. It seems like shutouts are just being increasingly more rare. I don't know what it is, but um. And also fair, fair play to Svedback, you know, Providence's goalie. We, we put a fair amount of shots on him from pretty high percentage looks and he did his thing. You know, he, I think by the end of this game, when we're done talking about this on this episode, I, I genuinely think we should have had more goals. I think the offense was, was kind of rolling for us, especially after this goal. I think we really started to pick things up. This was like the real wake up call thinking their goal is human. You know, we can, we can make plays as long as we focus on the offensive end this game's going to become a shootout, you know, and I'm not saying that in the, the shootout, like overtime rules type thing. I'm saying just back and forth goals on both sides, you know, it's just going to be one of those barn burners and that's ultimately what we ended up getting, but it, it just, yeah, wasn't enough. Yeah. And UMass really started to take control. Like we said, after this goal, three minutes later, we see Kenny Connors, who's having an absolutely fantastic start to his season. He nets one to make it five to three and the momentum is really in UMass's favor at this point. Yeah, Connors is just straight up that guy right now. You know, he he won uh, Rookie of the Month for Hockey East back in October. Completely deserved. He looks like one of the best players in Hockey East right now. Um, he basically has had the puck along the right-hand side of the boards, um, at least from where we were sitting, um, and kind of was skating towards the goal line and then just glides right back into the slot and then tucks it far post. Um really really good effort from him you know was, that was basically just a one-man play at that point um he he was it was kind of like you know when everybody says weight room you know that's kind of that that's the play that I think of right there because he had he had a guy from Providence I think just draped all over his back on the play and he shrugged him off and just made the made the hard nose play anyway so that you know when we saw that we're thinking okay you know the team's the, it, it reminds me of a of a of a thing that Carvel said in I think I saw an interview with him I think last year he talks about kind of building the culture of UMass and kind of some key phrases that he wants to see. And one of, one of the phrases is throw good shit on the pile. Mm-hmm. I think that was what we were starting to do. You know, like everything was starting to kind of, you know, come together a little bit more. You know, we started to see more offense passes were connecting. We had more flow, just throwing that good shit on the pile. You know, it just, it made sense in that, in that moment. And I think the team was really starting to feel it and, it culminates into another goal at the, at, during the next period that we're going to talk about. So things were looking good. Yeah, and they, they were playing really well uh, for the rest of this period. The last five minutes, uh, Svedberg absolutely robbed them a couple times of making it five to four in the second. Uh, we have intermission, and then immediately out of the jump in the third period, Cal Keefuke gets a really nice pass from Reed Lebster and nips one to make it five four. And we were we were really feeling good at this point. Yeah, Lebster had himself an amazing pass on this play. I mean, that the the playmaking on on this was just absolutely nuts, in my opinion. This was, I mean, I think looking at the box score, the the top line I think was like a minus minus three on the night. But 
you know, this, this, this was a really, really handy offense goal right here. You know, it just very clean. We just saw the open man hit him, and then just had a really nice shot. You know, there's, there's really no other way to say it. I just think it was a very well-worked goal. And we're thinking at this point, five to four, like, whoa, we were, we're coming back, you know, like we just got three unanswered. This, this is where, you know, I shouldn't say this is where it starts because this is, you know, it started with that first goal and we're just feeling really, really good at this point. We even started to kind of stand up and, you know, we were getting ready for the boy, you know, we were cheering, we were, we were feeling good. And as we're going to talk about, I think that's kind of where our, our good fortunes kind of ended a little bit. Yep. And, uh, you can you mentioned the that top line being a minus three on the night. You can kind of take that with a grain of salt. Um, two of those goals, I believe, were on the the turnovers from Ufko and Elliot McDermott. So just they yeah. don't really have anything to do with that there. So um, and just about everybody was a a minus on the weekend. Yeah. Um, yeah, this momentum was for sure in UMass's direction, and they didn't quite capitalize on it. Uh, they let Providence kind of do their thing. Um, and Providence, who credit to them, really good in this game uh, on the breakout. They find themselves on a rush seven minutes into the period, and um, Parker Ford buries a goal to make it 6-4. So this one I have a little bit of a problem with, and I think our, our goalie, Luke Pavicic, also had a problem with it. I'm pretty sure this goal got reviewed for, for goaltender interference. I think we they already had one goal overturned for goalie interference, and in classic hockey threat fashion, we can't have two goalie interference calls in the same game. So this one obviously had to count. Um, it just, he, I understand crashing the net. I understand that that is a valid part of the game. It is something we do it a lot. You know what I mean? Like that's a completely valid strat to crash the net. But he, when, when Ford was sitting here hacking at the puck, trying to knock it in, he was basically right on the goalie's doorstep, basically touching his pad the whole time. And I'm pretty sure he was whacking at his pad with the stick. You know, Pavicic, right as that goal went in, looked over to the main ref who was calling it as a goal on the ice, completely confused. We had no idea what was going on in the stands. Pavicic immediately rushes over to, the, to our bench, talks to Carvey and says, review that, please. Like, there's, there's no way that that's a legit goal. Carvey calls over the ref. You know, they, they talk, they look at it, they call it a good goal. We were completely shocked, and I'm going to mention it now because this happened at the end of the game, but it's completely relevant to this goal. As me and Cam were leaving the stadium, and after all the handshakes were done and everything, Pavisic literally walked over to the refs and still wanted an explanation. You know, he was still confused at the very end of the game. Like, it, it, it's such a it, – it's so sad. Like, I'm not trying to complain about the refs. I don't want to make it about the refs. If, if we didn't play as bad as we did in the first period, we wouldn't even been in this situation to begin with. But when you're down a goal and, and this goal counts, that's especially when we're, when we're up three unanswered at this point with all the momentum going in our favor, and this is going to be the momentum breaker, that, that sucks. There's no other way to put it. Like that is just, that's a heartbreaker. You know what I mean? I think, I think if that goal doesn't get scored, I, I think we, we could have had a different game on our hands. There's no way of knowing, and I'm being extremely skeptical here, and I'm speculating to, you know, to the end of the earth. But I just, in, in, in deep down in my heart, I just I think there could have been a different outcome there if, if this wasn't allowed. But I don't know. You might have different thoughts, Cam. No, I, I agree. Uh, a lot of people on Twitter, too, thought this should have been goaltender interference. The guy, Ford, who scored is uh, – he skated into Pav's glove yeah. on the on the entry into the crease. Um, 
kind of a situation where you like you don't want your defense allowing him to even get to that spot in the first yeah. place. So you don't want to complain too much to the ref, about the refs. Um, like I said, a lot of people on Twitter did who saw the slow mo replay did think it should have been goal interference, but it's whatever. At the end of the day, um, you're right about it being a huge momentum killer. I thought I thought UMass played really poorly for the rest of this game, yeah. um, and it might it might be a conversation for later, but this team so far this season in third periods has really, really struggled. Yep. Um, when, when the pressure gets hot like that. So we'll talk about it after the game reach game two recap, but um, UMass ends up pulling the goalie down to uh, we see Riley Duran net the empty netter. He gets a hat trick on the night and uh, yeah, just all things, all things Providence, the, the goaltender situation for UMass was shaky. The defense uh, really, really tough. Just, um, you love the, the fight back, but besides that, not too many good takeaways from this one. Yeah. I mean, obviously we appreciate the fight back and at, at the, at the end of the day, the, the thing that hurts the most for me is that if you score four goals, that's a winnable game. You know, at the end of the day, it's very, in, in most cases, it's tough to score four goals in a game and lose it. You know, that's just the way hockey works. Usually they're relatively low scoring affairs at the end of the day. You know, you're usually looking at a two, one, a three, two, something to that effect, maybe even a four, three, you know, if you're giving up seven goals in a game, I'm pretty sure the, the stat that we talked about at the end of it, we, we let in seven goals that game in every single game previous combined. We only let in nine up until that point. Like we almost doubled our goals against tally in one game. What the hell, you know, like there's, there's no other way to say that. That's just, it, it's, you don't win hockey games, letting up seven goals like that. Like, and again, it was, it was a combination of taking not great penalties, you know, in just, there was so much that just didn't really go in our favor that game. And it just looks all, all the worse just seeing that number seven plastered next to the PC logo. You know, you don't, you never want to let up seven goals in a game. You know, like I was talking about hoping for a blowout game because the, the, you know, we said that in the preview episode. And again, I take full responsibility. You said that in the preview That's episode. That's what I'm saying. That's why I said I take full responsibility. That's on me. You know, like I thought that this series was prone to having a blowout game because there have been in the past. I, I, I don't know if I jinxed it. I don't know if somebody on the team heard me and said, Hey, let's make that happen. I have no clue, but the, it's like it's like the monkey's paw curling you know what I mean like you said blowout all right we'll give you a blowout and then it's for the other team you know it's like mm-hmm. come on man like I don't know it really hurt it left a really sour taste in my mouth on the way home after the game we just we, we were not feeling good after that yeah and it's uh the the top three in my opinion of UMass strengths their defense their special teams and their face-offs yep. none of those were working uh face-offs yep. were even Special teams, they gave up two power play goals. The defense, obviously, the miscues we talked about. So mm-hmm. um, when when none of your strengths are going well for you, this is this is what's going to happen. And you, you really hope to see a bounce back from this back on home ice. Yep, that's, that is the hope. Uh, <laughs> we will now switch to game two. It didn't, we didn't quite get that, um, although I thought UMass did play much better than they did on Friday. Yeah. Uh, we got... Game two uh, from Mullins, Luke Pavisic, who uh, ended up giving up three goals after coming in for relief of Cole Brady. He gets the start. Um, We weren't too surprised by this. I don't know if you have a different opinion. 
No, I wasn't surprised at all. Um, I think I, I understand Brady getting pulled and I don't know if it was, I mean, yeah, it, it was, it was his fault to an extent. You know what I mean? I don't think he played amazingly there. Were, he definitely could have played better, but I don't think the defense was helping him out either. I think it was a 50 50 on both him playing a bit poorly, but also it was a, it was a case of just trying to give the team a spark, you know, not every, not every time that you pull the goalie, it's meant to reflect poorly on the goalie. I think it's just saying, you know, clean slate, new goalie in, basically a new game at this point, just a complete and utter mental reset. And I think that was mainly what happened there, but you don't pull a goalie and then immediately go back from the next game. You know what I mean? Especially when we've been talking about from the very beginning of the season, that it was going to be a one, a one B thing. You know, they were going to go day to day on the goalies for every single game. You, you know, Brady didn't win the, win the starting job. So he's not going to get yanked and then get put right back in the next game. I'm pretty sure we all knew Pav was going in for the second game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, on top of that, we had a, a huge shakeup in the lines yeah. for this game. Um, so some of the changes we see, Michael Cameron slot in uh, top line center with Cal Keith, you can read Lebster. The, um, the freshman line of Dick Connors and O'Hara becomes the number two line. Uh, we see McCarr, Mercury, and Nodler together on the third. So some shakeups there. And then the, the top defensive line, uh, McDermott is no longer with Scott Morrow. It's Morrow and Ellis. McDermott uh, slides down to the two line with Ofco. Um, and then we see Lyndon Alger on the third like normal. But Mikey Adamson makes his college debut uh, on right defense of that line. And Sullivan is the extra skater. So this is the biggest lineup um, like alteration that we've seen so far this season. And other things that should be highlighted um, Aaron Bollinger and Ryan Lautenbach both out of this game because of injuries. We don't know to which extent either of those are, so we'll we'll get that to you when we can, but really different looking lineup for this game. Yeah, I was going to mention the injuries before I said anything, but you just mentioned it right there. So I guess I'll lead off with talking about a little bit about the forwards. Um, I think it's kind of interesting that I, I guess if, if anything, it's more or less just like the listing of the forward lines on the actual line sheet. I think we kind of strayed away from the idea of like all four lines being dangerous and having scoring, you know, I should say like more scoring potential forwards on each line. I think we kind of defaulted back to a, I don't know what the term would be like a more default, like NHL style of, you know, line conventions. Like we immediately threw Michael Cameron up on that top line. He's a speedy offensive minded guy. There's no way around that, you know, Every, every member of our team can play decent two-way, but he's, he's a smaller dude that has really, really solid speed. That, that's his job. You know, that, that's his niche. And I think to be put on a line with both Lebster and Keefe that are both similarly you know, talented and similarly minded players, that, that is a very standard top line in most you know, teams that you know, you're looking at playing hockey nowadays. Same thing with that second line. You know, they were originally the quote-unquote fourth line, but they never really operated as such in a traditional mindset they were, you know, they're our top scoring line this season. You know, there's no way around that. So putting them on the second line makes a bit more sense. You know, they're more scoring inclined. We understand how that works. And then the third and fourth lines were basically our, our grinder wear you down type lines that, you know, they were listed as, you know, second line at some point in the season, you know, with like faith and all them, those are guys that are throwing the body, but we, I think, I don't know if it was done on purpose, you know, with the, the naming conventions of the lines with our scoring guys being the top two lines and the grinder types being the the bottom two. 
not sure if that was on purpose, you know, because Carby said before that he rolls four lines, you know, he's just, he's going to play whoever's, whoever's playing well, you know, and I thought that was a little bit interesting, but yeah, to, to touch upon the defense too, I'm really interested. You know, I was, it, it was a little bit interesting for me to see Noah Ellis on the top pair, you know, obviously he got the goal in the first game. I think that might've been a little bit of a reward for him. I think Noah Ellis looked pretty decent in the first game. I think he, they, we gave him the puck a lot. You know, he, he was kind of being one of those guys that was handling the puck quite a bit. Um, you know, he, he did his thing. He was looking okay. But, yeah, I think, I think kind of the big story, and this might allude to a little bit of our, of our talk later, but Mikey Adamson, you know, he shows up on that third line or that third defensive pairing. He did his thing, man. You know, we're, we're going to talk about it a little bit more, but I really had no idea what to expect out of him. You know, I didn't know. You know, like you look at his junior stats, he didn't play a whole lot of games. I'm not sure if he was injured, if he was just getting scratched. No clue. He's a smaller dude. He's only 5'9". He was like a half a point per game. Usually if you're that, you know, if you're a smaller dude like that, you're expecting to get more points, especially in your junior seasons. But he wasn't a massive point scorer for the most part. So I had no idea what he was going to bring to the table. You know, I was relying on hockey stereotypes to try and, you know, define him as a player before I'd even seen him play. And yeah, no, nah, he he definitely blew my expectations away. You know, I think he played very well. And uh, we'll talk about the specifics on how he played well when we go into this game recap. Yeah, more on him later. Let's let's jump into it. So uh, UMass obviously going into this game, uh, changing up a lot, trying to have a bounce back um, game, trying to spark something, uh, Coach Carvel, and it's pretty pretty evenly played as we go through most of the first. About halfway through, we see the UMass defense again, letting uh, this time Jamie Engelbert of Providence skate right into the high slot, and he uh, rips one and. Uh, we thought kind of a iffy goal from Pavisic too. So defensively, uh, goaltending kind of iffy goal to make it one nothing. Yeah, I mean, it's a soft goal at the end of the day. I think it's a, I don't know, it's a weird one to me. Like you kind of have to do a bit better, you know, trying to block the shot. I'm trying to figure out. I'm looking at the replay right now. I'm trying to figure out who was standing in front. It looks like it was Kenny Connors trying to block the shot, but it looked like, if anything, he was just kind of screening Pav. Like, I get you're trying to block the shot, but, like, you got to do better than that. You know what I mean? Like, if you're going to go for the block, go for the block. But if, if if the Providence player is this high up in the slot, I'd say just let him take the shot. Have some, have some faith in your goal. You know, like, step up on him, force him to make a move at that point. You know, because if he gets a shot away, it's going to be a pretty easy shot to save on Pav. Like, when I first saw this goal, I thought it was extremely soft thinking like, okay, Pav, what the hell, man? But like, I'm, I'm re-looking at this and yeah, it looks like Pav doesn't get a full, full view of the puck here. Granted, I think he should have enough time to be able to react regardless. Like it, it was such a weird goal, you know, like, I don't know. He gets, he gets it away in the high slot, like fair enough, but I don't know. Connors has to do better to try and block that shot there, I think, because if you're not actively making an effort to block it, you're literally just hurting your own goalie chances. You know, like it, it's another case of, you know, again, we were getting caught in transition. So it's a little bit weird. You know, we didn't have our, our full defenseman back there. It was just kind of a scrambled play, but that's again, after the night that we had the night before, that's not how you start off a game. You know what I mean? Like we're sitting here, it was probably drilled into the players' minds from the very beginning that we need to have a strong start to this game. And that that's what happens. You know what I mean? Like, Come on, get out of here. 
Yeah, it's not it's not what you want to see. You don't usually see a guy get that much room in that high slot right yeah. there to to put one home. So, uh, really, really not what you like to see. UMass did answer pretty quickly. A couple minutes later, they get a power play, and you see a little little soft one time shot. Not quite a piss missile, but you see Ryan Ufko bury one from the blue line to tie the game. Yeah, not, and it was a very similar to the to the goal from last weekend that he scored. You know, another very patient very smart play from him um he just was kind of waiting just biding his time and then I, I wouldn't even say waiting you know like it was it was basically a one tee he was kind of like a little half slapper it was like a if there was I don't know what you would call in between a, a slap shot and a wrist shot but just kind of just got a little bit behind it and a lot of traffic out in front to be fair you know what I mean like I think it was Connor's out in front it looked like he he was very close to having a tip on it. I think he kind of had to do this little weird like jump play to try and move around the puck to make sure he didn't block it. Um, it would have been really funny if he had blocked this one, but not the one from the first goal. I thought that would have been a little, <laughs> little interesting, but yeah, no, it, it was a very well-worked goal. You know, it sometimes I wouldn't even say it was like a, like a, a, a puck luck type thing. I think it was just a well-placed shot that the goalie couldn't see very similar to the first goal for the other team. So I think they kind of got a weird one and we got one that in my opinion was a bit more earned just because it was just very solid zone time. I think we had a lot of very, very good puck movement on this. So it was a, it was a pretty well-worked goal overall. Yeah. And UMass played really well to end the period after this. Uh, This is the score that went into the second intermission, but to their credit, UMass played well. They, they won the, the period in shots 13 to five. So all things considered outside of that, goal against a, a pretty good bounce back from last night as we move on to the second as we move on to the second UMass um, kind of gets another quick one again we see Michael Cameron you were you were talking about him being on that that top line and his speed really being a, a positive impact on this team we see him skate in uh, kind of using that speed uh, into the slot and a nice little pass from Reed Lebster yet again he gets a little redirection and puts it home make it two to one yeah, speed is important both on the puck and off the puck, and we kind of see why it's important off the puck here. You know, if you can kind of, like, beat the guy that's covering you, you know, especially when you're kind of wheeling out of the corner like that, and most of the time you're, you're up against bigger, stronger defensemen, you know, that might not have the same foot speed as you. So you got you to use your advantages, you know, whenever possible. And Michael Cameron kind of used his ear, and he showed off some really solid hand-eye coordination, in my opinion. You know, he was really doing his thing. Um, just it was almost kind of like a weird two on one in the front of the net because you're able to kind of, you know, break off of the guy that's covering you out of the corner. And you don't always need to have the puck in a supposed two on one to, in order to make a really smart play because when, when I think it was Lebster, I think he shot the puck there. Um, Mm -hmm. He just had two guys to kind of aim it towards, you know what I mean? I think it was both. I want to say it was Cameron and Keefuke that were just kind of standing in front and, the, the Providence defenseman was literally on, on his butt, you know what I mean? Right in front of the front of the net. So you had two guys that were willing to kind of make a tip or, you know, make a pass to on that play. And he found Cameron or Michael Cameron on that play and great tip to make it a two, one game. Yeah. And uh, this period didn't have the most uh, big chances either way. The, the shots ended up being pretty low for the period, but um, about 12 minutes in, we see, uh, Mikey Adamson and Cal Keefew get themselves a two-on-one. Keefew passes to Mikey Adamson, and he nets his first goal of his college career in his first college game, which was awesome to see. Also, uh, Cal Keefew got the assist. He had a really 
solid series as well with his playmaking. But um, focus here is on Mikey Adamson. Congrats to him for his, his first career goal. Another another G card losing moment here. Very awesome. Super happy about that. Um, yeah, I mean, Mikey Adamson, we were literally talking about him, you know, even, you know, like during the first period of this game. I think he looked really solid defensively. Um, again, for we don't want to harp on the guy being a smaller defenseman. You know what I mean? Like we've seen smaller defensemen do their thing in college hockey before, but dude's only five, nine. And he was playing like he was you know, six, nine, you know what I mean? Like he very scrappy individual, you know, he was, I think it might've been in the first period or the third period. I don't remember which one, but there was a moment where I think there was a Providence player out in front of the net trying to screen pav. And he was sitting there hacking at his legs, you know, and he was, he was messing with the guy, like little tiny cross checks, you know, he was at least making a, a, a conceited effort to try and make life hell for guys that were standing in front of the net because that was what completely destroyed us last game. You know, guys in front of the net tipping pucks. I think, I don't know if Carvey told, you know, Mikey Adamson explicitly like, hey, be that pest and try and, you know, make their lives tough. But he was doing his thing defensively. And now on this play, he gets rewarded for it. You know, you get what you deserve. That's the classic saying in Carvel programs. You know, I think Keefuke, had insane patience here. You know, he he knew, I think the only issue that I would have had with Keefe's play here is that he kind of telegraphed the pass a little bit too much. I think he was really, lo- he was looking at Adamson for the, you know, four seconds leading up to the goal, just kind of handling the puck the whole time. But I guess Providence didn't really notice that enough to really make, you know, kind of swivel over and try and cover him a little bit more. But by the time the puck gets to Mikey Adamson, he had about three bodies around him. So Fair play to both Keefuke for the pinpoint pass to keep it out of the range of the, you know, two to three guys that were covering Adamson at that point. And a grand, amazing play by Adamson to get his stick on the puck there and put it into a, you know, an accurate enough shot that even with a sprawling sped back at this point, you know, he still was able to find a soft spot in the net that he could tuck the puck away into. So well worth goal overall. Very, very happy at this goal. And it, we really thought at this point, you know, we're up two now, you know, we're, we're looking really good at this point. And yeah, we'll, we'll see how, how that ends the game in a little bit. Yeah. The vibes are really good going, uh, ending the second period and going into the third UMass had a two goal lead. Um, so everybody's feeling pretty good about things. We moved to the third UMass really, uh, this might've been one of the poorest played periods of the season so far. And in, in my opinion, we don't see it until uh, a few minutes into the period, but just we get a really a selfish penalty taken by Tyson Dick, a roughing call that did not need to happen. And just immediately into this power play, we see a shot from the blue line, get a perfect rebound off the, the end boards for a goal for Providence to make it three to two. And that just really swung the momentum in their favor the rest of the way. Yeah. I mean, this this period as a whole, you know, besides that, you know, I don't, how do I put this? Like, it genuinely, I don't even want to say it was one of the worst periods of the season. It might have been one of the worst periods I've seen, like, watching this team, realistically. Like, mm-hmm. I, the, the game that I immediately try and think of to draw a conclusion to, but I'm not, I don't remember that well if it was over the course of the whole game or just a single period, but the Minnesota game last season. We were up, I think, what was it, three nothing at one point, and then we we blow it. You know, I don't remember if that was all in the third period or not, but that third period of that game was complete hell to watch. We were getting absolutely worked the whole time, and basically what happened here as well. You know what I mean? Like I I don't remember the official stats off the top of my head, but we were getting outshot. It was like twenty four to three in this period or something like that. 
how the hell do you give up 24 shots in a period, bro? And you only get three the other way. Are you out of your mind? Especially when you're up like that. It's become a a recurring theme, at least both in this game and the away game at, at Merrimack. You know, we, we have a lead. We are playing very, very solid hockey up until that point. And then I don't know what switches off and either in the players heads or just the other team just immediately picks up the pace and the tempo of the game and we just can't match it. I don't know what happens, but it, it, it scares me a little bit. You know what I mean? Like just this entire period was just completely and utterly off for us. It, I don't know if, I don't know if I want to point to the fact that we're still as a whole, a fairly inexperienced team. Like we, we have to think about it too. Like our, our top scoring line are all freshmen. You know what I mean? Like you're going to get some amazing skill plays that are going to allow us to take the lead in, you know, and really put offensive pressure on the other team. But as we saw with, you know, Tyson Dick, you know, and his, his penalty that kind of set off this whole comeback, you know, in this game, there, there's going to be mental lapses that go along with it as well. And we, I feel like we knew that going into the season, but like just with how good of a start that we've had, I think we kind of pushed that to the back of our minds and we were expecting amazing, perfect play, you know, that will defeat number one ranked teams in a sweep, you know, like I don't want to talk about the Denver series too much because it's been weeks now, but like, I I'm always at the mindset that if we can do it, then why can't we do it now? Like what change, we should be getting better over the course of the season. Like that was Carby's whole thing. He said, you know, he said that on our, on our pod, when we, when we interviewed him, you know, we always want to play our best hockey towards the end of the season, but it seems like so far in the past couple of weeks, we've regressed a little bit and that's, that scared me. You know, I don't want to immediately just go off into a complete, you know, tangent about, you know, the state of the, the team right now, because we still have a couple of goals to talk about, sadly, but that, that, you know, this goal against kind of just sparked that to me, you know, like that's, it's really scary to see that in my opinion. Yeah. And we have, we have more to talk about from this period. Just, just two minutes later, Providence has the puck behind the net. We see a wraparound chance for Brett Berard that gets stopped by Pavisic, but uh, just, just way too many bodies in the slot uncovered, like completely uncovered. Uh, Parker Ford stuffs home the second chance to tie the game. And uh, yeah, like all the things you just said, really, really troubling situation at this point, the momentum, uh, the ice was tilted by far in Providence's direction. Yeah, this this is I'm I'm rewatching this goal right now. This is the second goal this weekend that is scored against on a botch drop pass. You know, like Noah Ellis had the puck kind of going around the boards, and everybody was turning up ice at this point, thinking, okay, we have puck possession. Cool, let's let's start to break out, you know, try and put some more offensive pressure on the team and try and put the nail in the coffin. But he he drop passes the puck, and again, clearly Providence is coached well enough to recognize that we tend to do that when we feel significant, you know, zone pressure and we try and, you know, settle things down and get the puck, you know, recycle possession again. He, he drop passes it to a covered Moro, you know, like I get it. Moro has good hands and good body position to try and protect the puck, but guy's not a miracle worker. You know what I mean? Like if he has a guy draped upon him, you know, he, he can only do so much with the puck until he has other guys coming his way to try and, you know, regain possession. And that's exactly what happened here. You know, Moro tries to, get the puck back. It gets stripped away from him. He tries to hold the guy up along the boards and 
I have a freeze frame on my computer right now that I'm looking at. There's one guy directly in the mid spot uncovered. There's not a person within 15 feet of them. You know, luckily they didn't get the puck out sooner because that would have been a wide open slot shot right then. Luckily, by the time that they get the puck into the mid slot due to the freaking the, the wraparound, you know, big rebound chance, we had five guys around the puck, but not a single one of them could get their stick on it. You know, Pav can only do so much there. He's in a decent position, but when you're when you have a point blank shot like that and he wasn't completely, you know, out of his crease enough to try and block off the angle, there's going to be a soft spot in the net and somehow they found it. You know, it's that's a little bit. I'd say the goal itself was unfortunate, but everything that led up to the goal, unacceptable. That is not the, that's not a smart hockey play. You know, sometimes when you feel really tough pressure as a defenseman, I get Noah Ellis as a freshman, you know, it's going to, it's going to take a little bit for the decision-making to get there. That's fine. These things are going to happen, you know, but for it to happen at this specific moment just sucks. You know what I mean? Like, especially when we're, we're leading, we're trying to get three points when, we wanted to get the three points in the previous game, you know, like that's, that's super tough. And it was just a very, another big defensive lapse, you know, something that we've, we've prided our program, you know, being built upon, especially this season, you know, the goaltending was very good, rather unsustainable, but very good. The defense was very good, regardless of how young the decor was, they were outperforming almost all expectations. And now we're kind of starting to see what we thought we were going to see. And at this point, I feel like we're kind of trying to wonder which direction are we going to start trending to again? Are we going to go in the overperforming expectations direction or are we going to go to the, well, maybe this is where we should have been all along expectations. You know what I mean? And that's that again, it's scaring me right now because looking at all these goals, I feel like a lot of them were very preventable. Just just being a little bit more experienced. Yeah, speaking speaking on unpreventable, um, this happened nine minutes left in the third period and UMass was very lucky to get the game to overtime still tied um they they lost this period in terms of shots 22 to 3 which for a program that's nationally ranked I think is totally unacceptable to happen in any period but again uh it's a trend that we've seen this year a lot um it happened in one of the Denver games uh luckily UMass was able to come away with a win it happened in the road game against Merrimack um I think it happened also in the the home game against Merrimack that led to the game going to overtime. And it's happened now in both of these Providence games where this team um, not necessarily collapse every time, but they, they are not playing their best hockey in the third period a lot of the time, which is, is very concerning to me so far. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, if you want to be a team that's going to compete for a national title, you got to have a killer instinct, you know, like we are just, not doing what we need to do to close out games, I feel like. And it's, I don't know what to really pinpoint it on. Again, I like to think that it has to do with just overall inexperience. You know, again, there's going to be growing pains when you have an extremely young, you know, lineup of really skilled, individually skilled forwards, you know, but there, there just needs to be that... I don't want to say character and compete, you know what I mean? But it does seem like at, at moments, you know, like we used to talk about last year, you know, we'd have a lot of character wins, you know, where we would claw our way back into a game that almost happened the night before we could talk about the reasons why all over again, we already did, but for this game, it just, you got to be able to close it out, man. You know, like 
we that again like i think i mentioned it before like that's the most frustrating part about this weekend to me is that we just we had so many good moments of hockey and then the the moments where we we just we couldn't really just really focus up and just continue that consistent good play is where we get absolutely crushed you know and that was this period you know we when you ride a 3-1 lead going into the third period you should be feeling good. You should be feeling confident. You've already done everything right up until this point. And then it just goes away. It just disappears into thin air. And it's, it hurts, you know, it's, again, it's something that I think is going to get cleaned up with time, but this is, this is a pretty tough spot in our schedule right now. You know, like Providence is a good team. BU next week, good team, you know, Merrimack, as we're seeing now, they weren't ranked or anything like that before, but they're looking to be a damn good team. So I think, you know, if we want to be in that damn good team category with all the rest of the, the top guys in hockey East, we got to do better than this. Simple as that. Yeah. And uh, we, we move on to OT. This is probably the quietest I've ever seen a hockey arena going into overtime, just knowing what got us there. And mm-hmm. um the yeah the, the plays that made it so how it was um and pretty pretty quickly into overtime we see on um we see Tyson Dick who who started this overtime period with uh, on the ice and he was out there for almost a solid two minutes at this point uh he he skates the puck out of our offensive zone along the sideboards and the three Providence players collapse on him um and he he kind of just fires it backhand into the neutral zone without um, necessarily having a, a player he's passing to just yet. And it, it ends up costing the game. Providence comes back on the two on one and they net that game winning goal. Uh, just a really ugly goal to, uh, to, for lack of better words uh, to end the game. This, this goal against sums up the whole weekend. <laughs> You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's poor decision-making. Like the only thing that, and we talked about this before we started recording, but the only thing that I could possibly think of that he was trying to do that I could even give him a little bit of credit for is that he sees, I think it was more, or no, it wasn't more. It was Connors, I think skating towards the bench. So we were going to get a fresh body out there with fresh legs. And when you have three guys collapsing, onto you that means that guy's gonna be wide open by the time that he gets the puck you know hoping that you get an accurate backhand pass over there we'd probably have a two-on-one going the other way most likely so it's a risky play I can sort of at least a little tiny bit understand it's not the safe play I get that but I think at this point with Providence having all that momentum I'm not sure if the safe play is the best play because we've already been getting decimated in that entire period. We have no momentum or any safety net to go on to in the back of the players' minds. You know what I mean? Like they're probably thinking we're, we're getting dominated right now. You know, like we're, we're coming off of a period where we're getting outshot eight to one. Come on. You know what I mean? Like, I think sometimes you got to make a ballsy play to try and win a, to win a hockey game and get the other point. But I don't know. It's tough because if that pass makes it through and we get the two on one the other way, we'd be calling Tyson Dick a genius right now. You know, I, I don't, I have no doubt in my mind that we would be singing his praises saying 
damn, dude, that was an insanely skilled play by him. Look at that vision to find the guy at the other end of the ice like that. You know what I mean? But when it doesn't work, you're going to end up with goals against like this. And considering that he already had that boneheaded penalty earlier in the game, this was not a great look for him whatsoever. You know what I mean? He did not do his thing this game at all. You know, I think he looked very, very, you know, and he looked very poor, but in, in the same sense, the guys were also very gassed. They were already out here for a solid minute and a half leading up to this goal, and we couldn't even get a single line change in. If, 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 if they dump the puck into the zone at this point, and we get, you know, guy, you know, we, we could get at least a couple of fresh guys on, on the ice, we're setting ourselves up to at least, you know, live to fight another, another shift, you know, but we, the, the puck, I think, I don't know if it hit off of the guy's knee or like it's batted out of the air or something, but basically falls to one of their players and he just snipes it. You know, I think it was five hole on tap like that. Ah, you know, yeah. like there's, I, that's, I can just growl and get angry. That's, that's the only feeling that I can feel when I, when I look at this goal. So yeah, that really was just the, the final throat punch of the weekend that just, I, I literally didn't even want to stick around at that point to see the team out on the ice. I just said, screw it. I'm going home. Like, you know, I, I basically turned on my, my, my Spotify playlist and just started singing along for two hours to try and just get my mind off of whatever the hell I was feeling at that moment, because it was sadness, rage, anger. Like it was just everything. So I said, all right, I got a two hour drive home time for me to clear my mind. Cause I just didn't even want to think about this team for the next two hours after it. Cause I was just so upset. Yeah, you, you mentioned a point that I wanted to discuss. We see um, Tyson Dick and Scott Morrow, who came over to try to help him after he saw three guys collapse on Dick. They were out since the start of the uh, overtime period, so they had uh, over a minute and a half of ice time. And the three Providence players that collapsed on him, it was right by their bench, and those were fresh legs. So those guys, uh, those guys had the energy. Um, it's probably safe to say that Dick and Morrow were probably pretty gassed. Uh, which probably leads to um, maybe poor decision-making or just lack of execution on getting that pass through. If you watch the replay, you're, you'd really like in that same situation for Dick to fire the puck deep um, in Providence's zone and kind of get it around the boards because uh, you mentioned Connor's going to the bench and Lebster coming out uh, would have been wide open on the opposite end of mm-hmm. the ice to get that, that puck wrapping around the boards. So um he, he's a freshman. Uh, maybe, maybe uh, things like this help like the experiences like this help to make those smarter decisions later on in the season, but uh, it's obviously not what you want. And it costs you masses a game. And after, after the game on Friday night, uh, having lost seven to four, UMass only gets one out of six points towards hockey East on the weekend, which uh Evan was pretty confident we were getting six. I wasn't quite there, but I was pretty sure we were going to take at least three or four this weekend. We get one. So you look now at the Hockey East standings, UMass one and three. Um, I believe that they have uh, four points total out of uh, six games or four games in Hockey East. So um, not the start you wanted. Uh, We knew this would be a tough part of the schedule, but definitely – the team played well enough in stretches to uh, of all of the last four games to avoid this start to hockey East play. Yeah. That's the crazy part is like you said, like we had really good stretches. You know, I feel like we talked about it all episode, you know, the, the, the skill and the execution and the mentality is there. We've seen it. 
we wouldn't be – we're still above 500 at the end of the day. You know what I mean? But that's including non-conference play, which I guess somewhat matters, but it, sometimes, it somewhat doesn't. You know, it's, it's a weird gray area. But we know what this team can do, and that, that is what, at least to me, hurts the most. That's why I was so confident going into the series. You know what I mean? Like, because I know what, what the team's capable of because we've seen it before, you know, but just, I don't know if hockey East is just a different beast. I think, I think hockey East as a whole has been improving. You know, I think, I think that's good. I think the conference is getting better, tougher opponents. You know, I think five or six teams in hockey East are ranked in the top 20 right now. You know, like we are a legitimate conference playing against, you know, legitimate competition at all times. So I don't know just how mad I can really be because, again, if you were to tell me at the beginning of the season when we did our previews and stuff like that, you know, for the whole season, we were highlighting so many holes that this team could have had. And I think we were a bit spoiled early on in the season, realistically. I think they're, I think the team definitely overachieved in some aspects, and I think that gave us, or at least me, it gave me a false sense of security, at least a little bit. Because I think we were just vastly, you know, outperforming what we thought we were going to do because I think we had valid concerns going into the season. And I think those valid concerns are starting to become even just a bit more valid, you know, because I still think there, there are things that this team can improve on. I think the youth is in the inexperience is just really kind of screwing us over at, at big moments. You know, I think the third period is when you want to play your best hockey and that's when we've been playing our worst. So that's, obviously extremely concerning you know what I mean and that's something that I think will improve over the course of the season which means you know I don't think we're you know in the middle of panic mode just yet but I think we need to have a really really strong showing against BU because I want to get ourselves back on track before Belfast because I don't want to be in a crappy mood all throughout the Belfast vacation because we didn't play too well all right so might be a little bit of selfish selfishness on my part for wanting to see the team do well but I, I think we really do have to figure it out by then, you know, especially in the BU series. I think that's going to be huge for us. Yeah. And, and don't get us wrong. I think uh, we are both under the interpretation that the way that UMass played against Denver and against union uh, that's what they could do every time. I think that's the limiting those uh, mistakes. Like the mistakes are, they're not subtle. They're pretty like clear, mm-hmm. like glaring mistakes, uh, mental lapses that, can easily be cleaned up. So I think this team's potential is still super high. Um, I mean, they're still top 10 in pairwise rankings after this game, which is good, a good sign. Um, but I think uh, they clean up these mental mistakes against BU. We'll definitely have a good shot for sure. 100%. All right. We have gone super long on this first half of yeah. the episode. So let's jump right into the awards. The first award that we give out is CCC. Carvel's character and compete award and um, a lot of guys on the scoring sheet for these couple games, but obviously a, a lot of the mistakes kind of hard to pinpoint one guy, but uh, I test alone. One guy that really stood out to us, especially in game two, Reed Lebster. He really made his presence felt all over the ice uh, offensively, defensively in transition, his playmaking ability. He, he had a really good weekend. We thought. Yeah, he had he had some ridiculous shifts, especially on home ice. Like he was doing his thing in the corners. I think he almost single-handedly kept a puck for a solid 30 seconds along the half boards, like right in, in our zone. That was nuts. You know what I mean? He was just really strong on the puck, really speedy, really skillful. Um, again, the plus minus and everything like that might have told a different story, but I don't think I'm not 
there's there's two different schools of thought there's the pure like advanced analytics people and then there's like the that boy nice crowd and they're like thinking like he got that dog in him like i i think i think at least for a lot of the times i'm more in that kind of school of thought where i just think if, if i'm if i'm looking at a player and i think he's playing well then that's really all i need and i think i i fully agree with you that i think i think webster kind of deserved it this weekend when granted there really weren't like that many people in my mind that we could have really picked just because you lose both games. You know what I mean? Like how well did we really like, again, we did, we had a lot of moments of good hockey, but just looking at the final score, I just, I don't know how I can say that somebody had an amazing weekend without a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth. Like it, it hurts for me to think about, but yeah, I think, I think Webster is probably the most deserving out of everybody. Yeah, totally. Um, the next award that we give out is the Good Try UMass Award, a guy that we think um, could improve for, for the next game or the next series. And um, after game one, I think we would have given this award to the entire defense, uh, just given everything that happened, the, the lack of focus. Um, there could still be an argument for, for it going that way, but after what we saw in game two um, – kind of handcuffed you kind of have to give it to Tyson Dick I mean the 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 selfish penalty in the third that immediately led to a power play goal and then the turnover in overtime which immediately led to the game winning goal um both kind of unacceptable in my eyes I I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him on the ice Friday against BU after what happened it's just um really unfortunate event and kind of uh kind of rookie mistakes if you want to call it that yeah I mean I I will slightly disagree I still think he'll be on the ice at the end of the day just because he's gonna have a whole week to kind of process that and work on it I think if it happened on Friday's game it might be a case of not seeing him during like the next game on a Saturday but mm -hmm. I don't know I could still see him on the ice but no that boneheaded stuff man you know and again hothead you know you're you're a new guy trying to really make your impression on a team. You want to make your, you know, your name known. You're trying to make big plays. And for the most part, he's done that offensively. I, you know, we can't detract what he's done for, you know, the team so far. He's looked very, very decent, you know, in, in pretty big spurts. But I think just the severity of the mistakes that he's made over this weekend kind of cements his position. You know, I think overall, he, he wasn't the worst player on the ice, in my opinion. You know, he, had, he notched himself a couple of points. You know, he, he made some, some fairly big plays, but you take the good with the bad. And just like I think how we played this weekend, I think the bad outweighed the good, which is super unfortunate at the end of the day, but that's the reality of it. You know, he, that penalty is just, all you have to do is just not do that. You know what I mean? Like that, it's not even a case of like him trying to make a play on the puck and you know, you trip somebody or, you know, you stop a, a breakaway by hooking somebody like you're not making a hockey play. You're just hitting a dude like we're up three, one, man. Like all you got to do, if somebody starts chirping at you, point up to the sky and say scoreboard and move on. That's all, that's all you got to do. You know, there's there's no sense to, to hitting somebody like that. What are you going to hurt him? Like, what are you going to do? You're going to hurt his confidence. Who cares? Get the W and move on. You know, I it. It's just, it's just such a silly play. And again, also with, with the backhand, I'm not as harsh with them on it, but I can totally see why other people are. I'm still pretty harsh. On it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not dismissing it in any, in any, you know, stretch of the imagination, but I just, it was not his best showing, especially in that second game. I'm just, I'm hoping, he, you know, 
and I, I think I've said this to a couple other people. It's this weekend is not a total loss if you learn from it. You know what I mean? It's it's only an issue when you keep making the same mistakes going forward and you keep not playing to that standard. But I think that after what had happened Saturday night last weekend, and now with these two games this weekend, I think we're really going to step it up and figure it out because I'm going to have to look at the schedules myself, but I'm not sure if we've ever lost more than three in a row before, you know, just, just thinking of our schedule, you know, just thinking of our win loss record and things like that. I don't think it's physically possible for us to have lost three in a row, you know, and granted two of them are in OT. So you kind of, I don't know, you kind of take it with a grain of salt there, but yeah, we just, we really need to step it up next weekend and really just limit the stupid stuff like that. You know what I mean? That's, that's what's really killing us the most in my opinion. Yeah, and uh, we've we've sung sung Tyson Dick's uh, graces throughout the beginning of the season. We've thought he's played really well and outperformed the expectation we had on him going into this season. But uh, yeah, just at, at least for the game too, just some unacceptable things that you really do hope that he learns quickly from, and we never we don't see that type of of thing again from him. Yeah. And uh, you were right about the not losing three games in a row. Um, this is from Nathan Strauss on Twitter. Um, it's the first time they have lost three games in a row since 2017 to 2018 season. So really? that's a that's a crazy run. Um, two overtime losses, not quite the same, but uh, yeah, those. It's a very very indicative of how how well this team has played over the last five years. Yeah, wow. I literally, I mean, I follow Strauss on everything, but I didn't even didn't even see that tweet so that was actually off the top of my head which is pretty nuts I'm kind of a little bit proud of myself for that just going off the top of my head I'll, I'll give myself a pat on the back for that one but yeah no I mean we really I next weekend is, is going to be that's going to be the most important weekend yet in my opinion you know what I mean like obviously Denver yeah there's importance to that just because of their their status at the time and the pairwise implications but I think just in terms of like pure vibes and momentum especially given the fact that it's a hockey East matchup we cannot show up the way that we did this weekend. There's, there's no way we need to improve. We need, and again, I think that kind of speaks to how far we've come as a program. I feel like we said it last year as well. Like if, if we were to lose to Providence, you know, back in, you know, six, seven years ago or whatever, we'd say, yeah, no, that that's, that's to be expected. You know what I mean? Five, five and 29 and two, as, as we always do, you know, like that was, that those were the vibes back then, but we're not at that point anymore. You know, we have a standard, we have a culture, we, the team knows what, what's, what's expected of them now. You know, that everything has shifted. The, what was it? Uh, I think Jalen Brown said that last year. He's like, the energy has shifted and then they just go on this crazy winning streak. Like that's how I feel about UMass hockey at this point. You know, that's, we just, we know exactly what we got to do and we just got to be better. Simple as that. Yeah, totally true. All right, let's move on to our, custom awards we're each giving out a custom award this year how about how about you go first what are you giving out so yeah i'm giving it to mikey adamson um i'm gonna call this the uh big things come in small packages award because he's out here on his debut no one really knew what to expect of him uh you know a massachusetts born kid you know he's from quincy good for him very cool good you know it's always good to have massachusetts kids inside of the program whenever possible and yeah, like I said, really, you know, obviously it was his first game, really, you know, getting game time for us. So to get a goal on your debut, especially as a defenseman, that's pretty damn cool. You know what I mean? He 
And completely besides that of the offensive contribution that game, I mean, he looked very, very solid defensively. You could even hear it from Carvey. I think Carvey's a really big supporter of him because I was hearing, you know, granted, we sit on the opposite side of the UMass bench. So, you know, we're not closer, but at least his voice kind of projects in our direction so we can kind of get a little bit of what he's saying. He was yelling at Mikey and it sounded like it was pretty, you know, like not congratulatory, but like it was positive, you know, reaffirming kind of praise, if you will, from him, you know he was making plays in front of the net to try and clear out the front. And you could kind of hear Carly going like, let's go Mikey, you know, like really kind of, you know, egging him on, which I think is really good, you know, especially because I don't really know how much he's kind of earned his way in, you know, earned his position in the lineup. I think he kind of was put there because of, I think both the other two scratch defensemen didn't really look so hot in the AIC game. You know, when some of our guys were out due to injury, and now Bollinger's out with an injury. So Adamson kind of played it. You know, he worked his way up clearly through the, the practice depth chart. And, you know, he finally got his chance due to a Bollinger injury. And he took full advantage. I have no idea what the hell we're going to do with our defensive, you know, kind of lines now going forward. Because I think I think he's earned a spot. You know what I mean? I think it's very similar to the goalie situation. If you play well in your game, you're, you get the next game too. You know, and I think, I think Adamson's earned that. So, yeah, we're kind of... We call him the, the big things in small packages. I don't even know if I made it clear. Dude's 5'9". All right, he's a smaller guy. And he's he's really not playing like he's 5'9 at all. You know, he's playing with a lot of, you know, speed, a lot of strength, and a lot of chippiness. You know, they kind of – I don't want to immediately draw comparisons to, like, Bobby or anything like that, but he was getting under the guy's skin a little bit. You know, he was hacking at their ankles, kind of like a little chihuahua, kind of nipping at their heels or whatever. You know, <laughs> he was doing his thing. He was definitely being a a, a little pest, if you will. but. That's what you need sometimes. And I think we didn't have that in that in that first game against Providence, which is why they were able to get so many tip goals. I don't think we were harassing them enough in front of the net. And I think Carvey might have told Adamson, you know, be that guy, be the pest, make their life a living hell. And I think he did. And again, showed up on the score sheet. Very cool stuff. So proud of Mikey Adamson. Big things come in small packages. Hoping that it continues next weekend. Hey, it was one of my keys to the series that this would be the series that we'd find our pests. And it seems like we might have done so. Uh, yeah. He played really well. I could even see him uh, once Bollinger comes back, slotting in in Lyndon Alger's spot, possibly saying in that um, lineup. So uh, again, congratulations to Mikey on his first career goal and uh, just an awesome, awesome game too for him, for sure. 100%. All right. Uh, and the award that I am going to give out is called the faster than me award. Um, I, I do skate around. I, I go to some puck times every once in a while. I'm not a fast guy on skates. So uh, anybody on that team is probably faster than me, but only one guy on that team has my first name on the back of his Jersey. Uh, Michael Cameron, fast dude. Uh, we really like how he played. He slotted in on the top offensive line for game two, and he really flexed his speed and flexed his playmaking skill. He just, um, kind of fit seamlessly in there. And we were really impressed with his play uh, in game two. You know, he killed it. I think we were, we, I think we talked about him last weekend as well. Um, I think he played that weekend. And I just remember he was, again, extremely quick. I, I don't know if I kind of overhype the amount of quickness from a forward, but I always just kind of appreciate that because I think that you can, you can kind of teach decision-making and things like that, but I don't really think you can, you can obviously improve speed a little bit in kind of skating techniques, but if you have that inherently, 
I think that it, it allows, you know, you to focus on other elements of your game and improve those a lot quicker. So the fact that he already kind of has the skating and that tenacity to kind of just go up and down the ice, like a complete freak of nature, you know what I mean? I think that's really important to have. And even, even if you don't show up on the score sheet for it, I think just having that speed and the ability to kind of tire out other teams, you know, defensemen and other back checking forwards is really invaluable because if your entire team is slow, team's going to be keeping up with them the entire time. And they're going to be fresh as a daisy come the third period. Granted, we didn't really see that this weekend because Providence was fresh as a daisy in that third period and they made us pay for it. But yeah, I'm still, I'm still very happy for, for Michael Cameron. Nonetheless, just, you know, he got himself a goal. He was doing, you know, a lot of speedy things on the ice and not to roast it, but yeah, you're probably not the fastest guy in the world, Cam. But so, I mean, maybe, maybe the naming on the award probably isn't the, uh, the most apt, but hey, it's yeah, a true it, statement. <laughs> it's a hundred percent a true statement, but granted, never mind. I was going to say I might be quicker, but ain't no way in hell. I'm a terrible skater. So we'll, we'll, we'll leave that point on the sidelines, but yeah, no, nah, Michael Cameron, very, very proud of him for his contribution. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that kind of sums up our recap of these games. Is there anything else that you wanted to add before we uh, discuss the Hockey East out-of-town scoreboard? No, because I think we're running at a solid hour and a half on this episode right now, <laughs> so I think I might be wrapping it up there. Yeah, we'll leave it right there. So uh, for Hockey East this weekend, uh, at least on Friday, a lot of chalk outcomes. Northeastern beats New Hampshire 6-2. to two. UConn beats Maine 3-2. to two. Uh, UMass Lowell beats Vermont 4 to nothing. And then we switch over to Friday. Lowell beats Vermont again, 2-0. UConn beats Maine again, 3-2. Northeastern beats New Hampshire again, 3-0. And Merrimack plays Boston College uh, in Newton, comes away with a 5-2 victory. So uh, BC's slide continues. Merrimack looks pretty pretty solid so far this season. Any any takeaways from those scores that I just read off? Um, Off the top of my head, I mean, Merrimack looks kind of legit so far. I mean, I don't really it's starting to make me feel a bit less bad I mean granted we already knew what we were getting ourselves into with that series we talked about it time and time again but I just think again I hate overanalyzing pairwise and thinking oh well because this team beat this team that's good for us you know whatever but I I do think it is true in this case you know I mean taking an OT loss to Merrimack especially when Merrimack right now I think is four and one in hockey East play I think they're they're off on a complete tear right now or something to that effect they're, they're doing their thing. You know what I mean? And I think, I think Merrimack kind of like last season was kind of sneakily slept on. I think a lot of coaches in the, in the coaches polls were kind of sleeping on them as well. You know, I think they kind of had him or had them towards like the middle to the lower end of the pack for hockey East, but they finished, I think they were in like fourth place last season. And I think a lot of people were expecting them to regress, but they haven't yet, you know, they're, they're doing their thing out there. So that's what immediately jumps out to me personally. And I guess on the flip side of that, BC kind of sucks. I mean, we knew that, you know, that whenever I have the opportunity to say the BC sucks, I'm going to take it. You know, there's, there's no way around that. I think there's probably not a team in hockey East that I hate more than them. Maybe, maybe Lowell just because they have the audacity to attach the, the UMass name to them. But uh, yeah, they, they're, they're not really in my good graces either, but um, yeah, I'd say those are probably my, my, my standout games from this weekend. Yeah, and as we look at the standings, still very early, so take it with a grain of salt. But uh, UMass is uh, has their work cut out for them already. UConn leads the league; they're six and one. They have sixteen points, um, and they are have played seven hockey East games 
UMass has played four hockey East games, but they only have four points. So um, they're going to be climbing up. They're, they put themselves in a position to start hockey East to where they're going to be climbing uphill for most of the season at this point. So um, we'll see how that goes. Obviously the, the games against UConn, Northeastern, Lowell, BU, uh, those types of teams are going to be huge going forward. But you met, you said it before, a lot of, a lot of solid teams in hockey East this year. It's going to be, mm-hmm. it's going to be a tough year for the conference. I think we'll see how it goes, but as always, I'm I'm always going to be rooting for UMass. I'm a homer, passionate fan. You know me. But we have, we definitely do have a bit of a hill to climb now. I don't think we've had as strong of a start to hockey's play as we would like. But it's a long season. There's a lot of hockey left to play. There's a lot of room for improvement. And I think we can always trust Carvey to kind of know what our weaknesses are and try to improve on them at, at, at every point. You know, that's exactly what we do every season you know that's ingrained into his mentality that we have to constantly get better get better as individuals get better as a team get get better as humans you know what I mean he's just it's always about improvement so as much as it hurts this weekend and how much it hurts my ego to know that we were you know I was expecting a complete and utter amazing dominant performance from UMass and we got humbled quite frankly I know that we're going to come out better because of it and I'm hoping that nobody is listening to this and thinking that I'm coping extremely heavily because I don't think that's the case. I think that's genuinely how we're going to improve over the course of the season. But there's only one way to find out, and that's going to be with more time. So I'm hoping and looking forward to next weekend as always. Yeah, me as well. I think it's I think it's really important to get a regulation win next series. Mm-hmm. I think just one. There's uh, four games in. Uh, the team doesn't have a regulation win in Hockey East yet. So I think that's pretty important. Tough task ahead, BU. They're uh, ranked in the top 10 nationally, I believe. So um, it'll be a big one. Friday uh, at Mullins, Saturday at Aganis in Boston. So should be a good time once again. I think that was everything we wanted to say. If you made it this far, we really appreciate appreciate you guys listening. We'll have our Schneider Arena review coming up midweek and then our BU series preview coming up um, near the end of this upcoming week. So Thank you guys for listening and go UMass. Go UMass. Take care, everybody. And I appreciate you guys listening this far. (laughs) 